Hey everyone. As you know, I'm a huge fan of living a healthy lifestyle, including taking the right supplements. Collagen is one of my favorite supplements. It is the most abundant protein in the human body. As we grow older, we break it down faster than we can replace it. This loss affects our skin, nails, hair, muscles, joints, and tendons, bones, and gut, making us look and feel old. Totem Voss is a wellness company that created a collagen chew for a real-life person, the 78-year-old mother of the founder. As a result, the quality is unrivaled. Totem Voss chews contain equal part deep-sea Icelandic cod, domestic grass-fed beef, and organic chicken bone broth, along with companion ingredients such as vitamin C for full collagen synthesis. These varied sources address a greater range of collagen needs within the body. Their customers are reporting results with such problems as rosacea, osteoarthritis, osteoporosis, degenerative disc disease, as well as improved hair, skin, and nails. Practitioners are finding the juice to be an effective tool in restoring gut health. You can find Totem Voss, that's T-O-T-U-M-V-O-S, at getchews.com. That's getchews.com. Use code DRDIVA, that's D-R-D-I-V-A, for an additional 10% off your first order. Here is what you never see anything about. You never see emotional drinking. You never see emotional snorting. You don't see emotional smoking. You don't see emotional marijuana use. Why? It's because people know that there's an addiction. There are drugs, and it's the drugs driving the behavior. It's not the emotions. It's the drugs. So processed food addiction is just multiples more difficult to put into remission than any other addiction. Hello, this is Dr. Deva Nagula. Welcome to From Doctor to Patient, where our goal is to bring you topics of discussion that will educate you on the various healing modalities to help balance the mind, body, and spirit. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of From Doctor to Patient. Today, I'm pleased to have Joan Iflin with us. Dr. Iflin wrote, edited the textbook, Processed Food Addiction, Foundations, Assessment, and Recovery. Dr. Iflin is a fellow of the American College of Nutrition. She earned her PhD at Union Institute and University, her MBA at Stanford Business School, and her BA in Economics and Political Science at Oberlin College. She's appeared on the Oprah Winfrey Network on the Book of John Gray. She founded online services for food-addicted people with foodaddictionreset.com, resetweek at resetweek.com, and trainings at foodaddictionrecoveryadvocate.com. Her Facebook group is Food Addiction Education. She also offers free handouts at foodaddictionresources.com. Dr. Iflin, thank you so much for being here today. How are you? Thanks for having me. I am fine. I'm out here in Seattle. It's kind of a great day, but that's Seattle. It's supposed to be that way. Right. And you have a very interesting history and, and a lot of the things that you are really focused and an expert at is something that I love talking about. Okay. And it actually has to deal with uh, the processed food and the addiction and my gosh, and how it really plagues our society. And specifically when we talk about how, you know, a population 
that is approaching 70 to 80% of obesity or overweight status can all really pretty much point their issues based on the processed food addiction. So right. I would love to get your definitions and, 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 and information about what is processed food. Uh, and let's just start with there first. Okay, what is processed foods? So this is a great place to start the conversation because once you realize that these substances, I'm going to call them substances, have present, been presented to us as if they were food, you, you really are starting at the right place. So one way to think about processed foods are they are substances that light up and activate the same part of the brain that is activated by recreational drugs and alcohol and cigarettes. So it is the reward system and the stress systems. They, those are the two parts of the brain that are hyperactivated by drugs and they're hyperactivated by processed foods. So that's one way to think about it. The next way to think about it is that plants have natural endorphins in them. It's really nice that when we eat, we're not just preventing starvation, but we're actually getting a little release from our reward system and it feels good. Those are the pleasure pathways. So that's great. That's what Mother Nature designed for us. It's a lovely gesture and it all works great until you concentrate. You concentrate those endorphins and then they are strong enough to create a high, an abnormal high, which is followed by a crash. And then you have cravings. And then you're eating again, even though you've just eaten. So it is the processing. It's the grinding into a powder. It's extracting the fiber, separating elements of the food. It's uh, liquefying, crystallizing. So anything that happens inside a plant, inside a manufacturing plant, if, if, you can, if you can look at a food and you can say, that is celery, and, that, and, and it still looks like it looked at the moment that it was picked, that's food. But any kind of a powder or a crystal or a liquid, there's only one liquid on the planet, natural liquid, and that's water. Anything else has been processed extracted, soaked, it's just, they are exactly the same processes that are used to make drugs. Yeah. And there's uh, definitions that, that you've just described that's processed food, but it, obviously some foods can be processed for us to intake and it's fine. But at what point are processed foods considered harmful to us? Okay. So they're all harmful. They're harmful like cigarettes are harmful. Same industry. So when did this all start? It started in the mid-1980s when the tobacco companies bought up the big processed food manufacturers. They bought Kraft, Nabisco, and General Foods in the space of like three years. And they ramped up the children's cartoon commercials for sugary, fatty, salty foods, and the obesity epidemic just ensued. It's a business model. The five A's of the addiction business model are availability, 
You put the stuff everywhere. You know, they took out the cigarette vending machines and they put in soda and snack vending machines. It's cheap. High fructose corn syrup came on the market in the 1980s. And that made it possible to create products that were cheap enough that you could use often enough that you could develop an addiction. Before that, sugar was uh, under the control of a cartel in Florida. It was too expensive to make cheap food products. Uh, Advertising, just tons and tons of advertising. And then you ramp up the addictive properties in the food. So what made, what took processed foods from being dangerous to being fatal, if you will, in the 1980s was there was a consultant, Howard Moskowitz, who was Harvard-trained PhD in experimental psychology of marketing. He figured out a data-driven method for maximizing the amount of sugar, fat, salt in processed foods. So you could have a loaf of bread in your house before 1980 and have a slice or two every day. But once uh, they added the high fructose corn syrup, salt, extra fat to that bread product, it became addictive. And people would sit down and eat the entire loaf. <laughs> so what was happening was there was a concentrated enough addictive substances to activate those reward pathways in the brain and create that high in a crash. And so you would eat the next slice to try to avoid the crash and eat the next slice to avoid the crash. That's an addiction. So now, unfortunately, uh, once a brain has been addicted, you can't even have the old bread. The queuing is too intense. The old, the cleaner bread, if you will, is going to activate that same high and crash cycle. And so you have to step way, way, way back, not just from the foods, but also the triggers, the advertisements, the reminders, the availability. You've got to step back from the whole system of activating those addictive reward pathways. A lot of people engage in this behavior because it's an emotional release. So how do you retrain people who are eating on an emotional basis to get them out of their addiction, right? So it's people who are stress eating, people who are eating for joy, celebration, right? But again, it's, it's an addiction, but it's so difficult because there's emotions tied around it. Uh-huh. So when, once you really get that this is a straight-up substance use disorder, then you, you can look at other addictions. So that's what I've done in my whole career. I started my doctoral program in 2004. So 16 years ago, I learned how to read research. And I had a great doctoral committee who just kept pounding into me, go to the closest thing that people already know about. What people know about is alcoholism, they know about smoking, they certainly know about heroin addiction, uh, cocaine addiction, meth addiction. And so all the work I've done is how do you how do you explain how much processed food use looks like addiction? Alcoholism is my favorite because it's the only other caloric addiction. It's the only other addictive substance that has calories. So um Here is what you never see anything about. You never see emotional drinking. You never see emotional snorting. You don't see emotional smoking. 
what's the emotional marijuana use? Why? It's because people know that there's an addiction. There are drugs, and it's the drugs driving the behavior. It's not the emotions. It's the drugs. So processed food addiction is just multiples more difficult to put into remission than any other addiction. And one of the reasons is, is because the addictive substances are so well hidden. So we know that tobacco put nicotine, they added nicotine to cigarettes to make them more addictive. So that's the, it's one of the A's of the five A's. It's increased the addictive substances in the product. Hide the addictive substances in the product. So people will use them often enough and develop the, the high and crash, the addiction. So that's all this is. Unfortunately, it's a long list of substances, sugar and flour and gluten and excessive salt and dairy and processed fats and caffeine. And then all the food additives, because nobody's really watching what the processed food industry is adding to food. They don't have to put it on the label. So when you get that, you realize there's no emotional eating. There's no stress eating. There is addiction. And the addiction is triggered by emotions. These, the stress and emotion neurons are very intertwined with the addictive neurons. So when you get stress and emotions, they vibrate, they activate, they agitate the addicted neurons. And then you're compulsively using these substances. You're and it's a eating. perpetual cycle. And, and yes, and it's, it's a, it starts so young. Um, really starts at conception because if the parents are eating processed foods, their genes are replicating in an addictive pattern. So the first thing, the first, very first genes that baby gets, that fetus gets, are replicating addictively. And it's it's really all a a way for the food industry and the food giants to really capitalize and to make profits. And unfortunately, Incredible. they are really preying on the low socioeconomic class. And through our um, SNAP program, where you know the government spends you know seventy billion dollars, and ten percent of this seventy billion dollars is sugary beverages. Mm-hmm. And essentially, the cola manufacturers are made billionaires simply by the SNAP program, and it, it's 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 horrible. And horrible. Um, it's it's there's restrictions on the foods, and these recipients can pick. And then on top of that, you know, they're only allotted a certain amount of money to spend. And you know, they're smart because they are going to use the best for their dollar and get the most that they can. And so. It's it's interesting these grocery stores and these and these advertisements from the manufacturers are putting out specials in big you know huge bulk packages with bright colors to attract the people and it's just I mean you really think about it the levels that these people go to just to sit there and turn a dollar it is it is tobacco it's tobacco all over again it really is if this business model is used for alcohol. Uh, vaping, marijuana now, uh, cigarettes, processed foods. The pharmaceutical industry used this same model to market opiates to doctors. Mm-hmm. 
And it is, um, there are about 20 ways in which overeating looks just like an addiction on an individual level, a family system level, the nature of the substances, and the macro factors. So macro factors are demographics, the epidemiology of it, the presence of government subsidies, the, um, the incredible cost to society. And as part of the epidemiological patterns, you see the same, you see the, the tobacco industry preying on these underserved populations. You see the processed food industry coming on and doing exactly the same thing. So people who are already, I mean, I just, it's incredible that people who are already struggling to make ends meet, now they're being made sick by these processed foods. And you know, they keep coming to the surface. They don't give up. They keep, they get up, they go to work, they're working three jobs. They are the most courageous, brave, strong people on the planet. Mm -hmm. And they deserve to have better information. You can make a rice and beans dish for 60 cents. Hmm. That's healthy. Yes. And that's, that's the rest of the world is living on that happily. The rest of the world is thrilled if they can get their hands on some beans. And uh, that's protein and starch, lots of vitamins and minerals and uh, 60 cents. And all you need to do and the the amount of time it takes to make rice and beans is under five minutes. Mm -hmm. You know, you put the beans in one pot, you put the rice in the other pot, you come back half an hour later for the rice, come back a couple hours later for the beans. Lentils cook very quickly and they're higher in protein. And you can feed with that amount of work, you can feed a lot of people. That's not just one meal, probably. It's probably two. Mm-hmm. If you put enough beans and rice in there, you can you can make all your food for the day. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it, this is such an easy way of feeding the masses and for cheap. And and we can educate people. Um the processes and you can educate the people on um, how to eat healthier, how to pick healthy foods, how to follow the dirty dozen, the clean 13, you know, those are things that we can definitely incorporate in terms of education. But the problem is, is that what I see, and I'm, I'm speaking from experience for personal experience and as well as from patients that I've actually counseled. Once you're in this addiction phase, you know, where they've got you, it is so hard to get out of it. It doesn't really matter how much education and information that you process and logically understand. It's, yeah. it's, it's, that, it's that strong of a whole. I mean, it is, like you said, it is the equivalent of an addiction of drugs and tobacco and alcohol. And mm-hmm. it, but this is so prevalent. This is, this is what daily, everyday Americans face. Yep. So, um, this is a severe addiction, and that's the thing that I really uh, got out of writing the textbook and collecting those 2,000 studies and putting them in place and organizing them. Boom, it just popped out. This is a severe addiction. And when you have a severe addiction, you, uh, you would normally go to residential treatment. However, right. that totally does not work for processed food addiction because... The addiction is triggered by places. Addictions are triggered by places. You walk into a bar as an alcoholic, you're going to lose your abstinence. You, you know, crack counselors, crack addiction counselors will say, don't drive past the crack house. 
because the place is such a big trigger. So when you come back from spending $50,000 in five weeks and your rest of your family has had to pick up life for you, uh, you walk into that house, everybody's kind of stressed out because you've been away and they have to take care of the kids and the dogs and the elders and the house. And they're like, here, here, take it back. Now you're fixed. Well, your stress level goes up and you're in that place where all those addicted neurons say, oh, we're back here. Yay. This is where we binge. I know this place. Okay, let's get at it. Let's binge. And off you go. And then the whole system blames you. The system didn't treat the addiction adequately Mm -hmm. or even at all. I never looked at a program that had a clean food plan. All the all the programs have addictive substances in their food plans. So what even we cafeteria have, food at schools. Oh, it's the worst. Mm-hmm. But even if you go, you spend that fifty thousand dollars and you go to a five week program, they are going to teach you to use in moderation, which is just sick. Sorry, that's that's not very professional, but it's really sick to teach an addicted person to try to, to use their drugs in moderation. That's cruel. They can't do it. So, um, but they all have dairy in them. They all have gluten in them. Uh, Some of them permit artificial sweeteners. So you're not getting, you're not getting what you needed. You're not getting through withdrawal. You're just transferring the addiction to fewer substances and you come back and you lapse. So what we realized is that we could use Zoom to provide residential treatment and the person stays in their house. So over the course of all these chats and calls that we provide, the associative cue, the house becomes a cue for recovery. And you've got to do that. It's the missing piece from all programs. People who are trained in nutrition and dietetics are not trained in addictions. Right. And they don't get that the helm is a huge trigger. Hey, Dr. Diva here. Thank you to all my listeners who supported my book and helped to make it a huge success. You all have helped us hit number one in Barnes & Noble, number one in oncology, cancer, healing, and medical ebooks, and number 21 in all of the Kindle store. You've also helped us hit number three on the Wall Street Journal bestseller list. If you haven't received your copy, you can find it on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, or booksatmillion.com. Visit from doctor2patient.com to become part of our growing community of health and wellness aficionados and to learn more. If you like our book and podcast, please go to amazon.com to write a five-star review and go to Apple Podcasts to also write a five-star review on this podcast or any of our episodes that you've enjoyed. We need reviews to attract and secure top-notch guests for this show. Thank you so much for your support. I mean, other than the education and these programs that you're mentioning, what else can we do as a society to help offset the damage from processed foods and help educate folks and and the public um, the dangers of processed food. So in an addiction, and you mentioned this, the addicted reward 
systems, can the addicted stress systems pull the blood supply away from the frontal lobe? So you cannot teach. You can, you can sit down with an alcoholic. You cannot teach them because they can't learn. That learning is in that frontal lobe, paying attention, remembering, impulse control, decision-making. Those are all in the frontal lobe, and they're not getting blood supply. So this is, this is why if you have a simple addiction, like you're just doing alcohol, you're 16 and you're just doing alcohol, you got in the wrong crowd. You can go to AA and AA will work. Alcoholics Anonymous will work. Why? Because you're using a completely different part of the brain. You're using mirror neurons. You're harnessing conformance drive. You're teaching your brain to, to say, oh, my tribe doesn't drink. But you've got to, to show the primitive brain a tribe that doesn't drink. You've got to. So for seven million years, when brains were evolving, human brains were evolving, according to science, um, if you were in a tribe, you lived. Your genes got passed on. If you were in a tribe, it was because you were conforming to that tribe. If you were in a tribe, you had uh, help with finding food, finding shelter, delivering babies, and fighting off predators. So your genes would get passed on, but you had strong conformance drive. And uh, the food industry uses that mercilessly. You see these happy families sitting in drug dens, i.e. fast food outlets, eating food. And your brain says, oh, happy families eat in these places. Okay, we're going to eat in these places too. Frontal lobe does not get activated at all. So all the, oh, we shouldn't eat fast food. That thought is, cannot come into the brain. It cannot come into consciousness. Because the, the, the brain cells that are storing that information are not getting enough blood supply to actually put out neurotransmitters that would control behavior. So you've got to, um, I do think awareness is really important. We just started uh, talking to a hospital system about creating awareness in their employees. So we're starting with the employees at the, the hospital system. And I know that these good doctors are going to just pick this up and say, well, how do I apply this to my patients? But we're starting with awareness. So this is an environmentally induced disease. It comes from having food available, these drugs available. A availability will start to activate and agitate the reward neurons. And they will start putting out neurotransmitters to grab control of the behavior center and get you to walk back into the kitchen and get that stuff. So availability is a great place to start. And then, um, you know, you just don't, you don't want people talking about it all the time. If you're trying to not drink, you don't want to be in a workplace where all the workers come in and they're all hung over and they had such a good time and <laughs> I drank this. And I no, you don't want to be around those people. So you have to start even choosing your people. Which is hard because, as you said, I think it's, the addiction is quite common. A, a pound per person per day of processed foods disappears into the U.S. economy. Before tobacco, the um, obesity overweight rate was about 45%. Tobacco came into processed foods 20 years goes by, and it's now almost doubled to 75, 70, 69, 70%. So this is common. 
you have 70% of Americans. And that doesn't include the people who collect fat around their organs. There are people who collect fat under their skin, and then there's probably another 20% that collect it around their organs. So they look okay, but they're actually sicker. Skinny fat people. Yep. Yeah, skinny fat people. Yeah. Yeah, it's 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 interesting. I mean, it's uh, you would think it's enough that we have such a health crisis going on with so many autoimmune diseases that are prevalent and so many other inflammatory conditions that are plaguing our society. But it's the other flip of the coin is is that the physicians don't really understand this. We're not taught nutrition and diet in medical school or residency. And you know, it wouldn't so, do you any good. You could take all the nutrition and diet you wanted in the world. It would not help you. This is an addiction. Yeah. And actually, it's weird for me to say this until you start thinking, huh, this has nothing to do with food. It has nothing to do with eating. You don't call cocaine addiction a snorting disorder. Smoking is not a breathing disorder. Yeah. So it's just horrible that this particular large group of addictive substances were hidden by the tobacco industry in our food. So it looks like there's something wrong with our eating. It's not. Right. I mean, the sad thing is, is that now when you go to eat, all the queuing is the same. So it's easy to reactivate those addictive neurons. It's the queuing similarities is definitely a problem. You we would kind of have a process disorder and uh, a substance use disorder. And this is really, really hard for people to to let go of. But we had to devise this whole process. We now have like a, we call it the enrollment process. But first of all, we give people a self-quiz showing how many of the 11 signs of addiction are they experiencing and then we have a quiz showing the complications. There's addictions that start young, use a lot of different substances, are subjected to a lot of queuing, where your social circles are using. They're much harder to put into remission. They take a much longer time. And then we, we show them all the things that will actually go away. You know, it's, it's not just weight. It's diabetes, and it's dementia, and it's Alzheimer's, and it's brain fog, and it's fatigue, and it's endocrine, you know, hormone dysfunction and its skin problems and its reproductive problems and its joint pain and its muscle pain and its irritability and its depression. These are systemically toxic substances. It's not like smoking where it was kind of concentrated around the lungs. These substances get into the bloodstream and cause a lot of inflammation and immune dysfunction. So the range of illnesses that can go away is much, much greater than cigarettes. And people need that. They need to know that in order to be motivated because this is a long haul. This, you know, normally drug and alcohol addiction takes about eight years from the first time you attempt treatment to your first year of abstinence, i.e. your first year in which the addiction has been transferred to processed foods, eight years. And we have all this quick weight loss mentality. Oh, it's just about the fat deposits. Oh, my goodness. It's pretty amazing once people get into recovery and they get emotional stability and they get mental clarity and they get released from pain and fatigue. Like, 
weight loss goes way down the list of things that are really cool about recovery. Being able to think and control your emotions, that's that's cool. Yes, we do. We love that the fat deposits uh, resolve themselves, but people are really excited to find out that they're they're not old. There are people in their 50s and 60s, well, I can't remember anymore because I'm old. Mm-hmm. Nope. It's the progression of the processed food addiction. It's fascinating. Yeah. And what other components of your program that we haven't discussed that would be something that would definitely be implemented to a person who is trying to get rid of their addiction? Yeah, so we have we have quite a few innovations. Uh, one, we have a clean food plan. So we've got, there's an entire chapter in the textbook on food plans with 250 citations. Researchers have been out there doing their, their jobs, great jobs. And of course, because the media earns about $10 billion a year just in the U.S., from food, they never report any of this. But we we have two really good studies showing that sugar is more addictive than uh, cocaine. Yeah. So one of our innovations is a clean food plan. And people can get that for free at our website, Food Addiction Resources. Go in there, click on the handout, scroll down, and there are the lists. And that's all you, I mean... In terms of understanding the food dynamics, there's a food plan, there's a list of excluded foods, and then there's a list of unprocessed foods. And there, that's, that's all this has to do with food. So whether you're doing carnivore or keto or vegan or Mediterranean or whatever, the only thing that matters is that you don't have addictive substances in your food. Humans are incredibly adaptable. A lot of different food plans will work great. So that's one innovation, and it takes a long time. That's another innovation. Like it could take a couple of years to get all of those substances out of your food. Another innovation we have is that we offer four live events per day, Monday through Friday, and three per day on the weekends. So three video chats, and then a recorded conference call, which we send out so people can listen to that anywhere. You need to realize that you are fighting that food addiction model from the food industry. It's called surround marketing. First, they addict the reward pathways, and then they surround you with reminders and stimulation that activate those addictive. So it requires immersion recovery. It requires an immersion program to really thoroughly block out all the, the triggering from the food industry. We're the only ones offering that. And then the other thing we do is we understand that lapsing takes a long time to stop. So people will quit programs because they're lapsing and they've been told something that's completely unrealistic, which is you should have stopped lapsing by now. Absolutely not. It can take years. And this, this addiction is so deeply embedded because it starts at conception baby formula with 50% sugar. Mm, And then all the cartoon commercials, children are, uh, they're never not addicted. You get into your 60s and you've never not had addictive substances in your system in your whole life. So we teach a lot of life skills. How to detach from other people's behavior, how not to be triggered into strong emotions. Then we kind of back it way up 
we don't, we teach people how to stay calm, affirmations, meditations, yoga, walking, being out in nature, just ways to train the brain to become accustomed to being calm. Because we know that strong emotions trigger the addiction. Uh, there's, there's just a lot to do. And we're at it all the time. Your, your program is very unique in that it really addresses it from a neurological and a physiological basis. Do you find that people who enroll in your program specifically with a food addiction, does the trainings that they learn and harness and harbor, does it cross over to other addictions? Yeah, I am just waiting for somebody to come to me and ask me to uh, to create a community for drug-addicted people. It would be perfect. It's perfect for alcoholism uh, because tobacco, it's tobacco. Anything. Yeah, even the, uh, it, you know, people think that the opiate addiction is so much harder to fix. It's not as far, I know, I know this is going to sound off the wall, but it just doesn't have the cueing that processed food addiction suffers from. And it's one pathway. So it's the opiate pathway. You, you still have functioning dopamine, serotonin, endocannabinoid. You still got other feel-good pathways working. Because as you know, addictions collapse those feel-good pathways, and then you just feel bad all the time. It's a, but it's a physical problem. So um, I, I think we would do very well with the single, uh, single substance addictions. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And I, I, I totally see that, see your point. And, and I also feel that it has to be a multi-modality approach in terms of helping the individual. You're approach is fascinating and I know it's, it's unique in its sense and it does help with folks. However, I think there's got to be some accountability, you know, from these uh, manufacturers. The government needs to step in. Oh gosh. You know, I personally feel that the advertising needs to be you know, restricted. I also feel that there should be some taxes that are imposed on sugary beverages. There are some models like this that actually exist, I think, in, in Chile, actually, uh, they've actually restricted advertising on televisions and they actually are putting um, specifically a black box label on foods that can be purchased at a grocery store that are indeed addictive, harmful to the bodies. Interesting. I also think that they're doing um, a, a sugar tax as well. And as a result, there's been a remarkable change in the health of the residents of Chile. Their, their, uh, the obesity rate has decreased. I believe there are even some indicators of reduced violence, um, uh-huh. mm-hmm. you know, and, and, and so I, be- I truly believe it's a collaborative approach that, that needs to be imposed. And, and I think we just have to really do this together in order to achieve the best outcome uh, for individuals, specifically the folks that are in the underserved areas in the low socioeconomic class. Yeah. Well, it's great that we're having this conversation. My undergraduate degree is in political science and economics, uh, and I worked in a state legislature for two years. And you really have to understand the, <clears throat> I think we could use the word corruption that at the federal level uh, where Indeed. legislators are dependent on 
campaign contributions from these corporations. Yeah. Yeah. So, and all the things you're talking about also work for tobacco, Mm -hmm. alcohol and tobacco, marijuana, they're all controlled substances. They're on a schedule that the, uh, I think it's the Justice Department Mm -hmm. keeps it, the Tobacco and Firearms Bureau. Anyway, um, there's a list of controlled substances and clearly a lot of these substances, I mean, sugar should certainly be on that list. Mm-hmm. But here's the price, the big difference between tobacco and processed foods. Tobacco was grown in four states, eight senators. Their number one priority in Congress was to protect first the subsidy for tobacco and then the, you know, to keep the regulations off of tobacco products. And they were able to, to do that. So in 1964, the Surgeon General came out with tobacco causes cancer. We've got 30 different studies, all different techniques. They all come out in the same place. The medical community embraced that. Okay, this is clear. I can read those 30 studies. I agree with the Surgeon General's committee. We got to start talking to our patients about tobacco. You don't have that in process. Mm -mm. You don't have 30 great laboratory and big population studies connecting processed foods with dementia and uh, Alzheimer's and all these other things. I mean, I think today, I was just on a panel earlier this week with four doctors, a congressperson and the host, and the person who invited me. So in the course of talking about this, the doctor said, thank you so much, because now we know this is not our fault. We have incredibly frustrated, dedicated, highly trained doctors who are just frustrated to, to the point of retiring early because they keep telling their patients, they're trying to use education with their patients. Patients aren't responding. It's because that's not how you treat an addiction. Mm-hmm. You've got to get that addicted person around clean people and then their mirror neurons can help them out. But frontal lobe is not working. So all the things that you discussed worked for tobacco too. They work for addictive substances, high taxes, uh, controlled access. You have to show an ID to, then now there's a province in Mexico. You have to show an ID to buy sugar, a sugary drink. They're not allowed to sell it to children anymore. All of those regulations, because it's an environmental disease. It, yes, it's made worse by childhood uh, trauma, but it's it's the curing. So the one thing everybody can do is keep the stuff out of their house, uh, turn off the TV. TV correlates perfectly with weight gain, hours of TV, pounds gained. Turn off the TV, put a covering over it because... Now, just the box itself is an associative cue. Uh, learn a new way to drive so you're not driving past the, the fast food places and um, order your groceries online. Grocery stores are to a food-addicted people person like a shooting gallery is to a heroin addict. That's a good point. You know, yeah. you have an avenue of uh, the grocery stores that we can go to. They really are bright in colors and they're strategically oriented where you have to go out of your way to get the healthy foods. So yeah, that's a good point. I didn't think about that. Um, purchasing it online, you know, it, it's a different feel. Um, totally. So yeah. I didn't think about that. It's a really good yeah. method. 
Yeah, these are these are all good strategies. I'm I'm really happy that we had a chance to discuss this from a physiological yeah. and neurological perspective. I'd love to um, you know educate our listeners further, and if they want to find out more about you and the information that you put out through your book, what's the best way they can find you? I think a good place to start is our Facebook group, Food Addiction Education. There is Facebook addiction, so if you're not on Facebook, email us. Get help at foodaddictionreset.com. I think a great first step is to go to our website, foodaddiction.com, and take the self-quiz. So there's the 11 diagnostic criteria for addictions from the DSM-5 are on our website. So just click on take the self-quiz. It's not a diagnosis. It's a little self-quiz, 11 questions. And uh, you will get an email from us with your results and an invitation to come to a workshop and learn more. So we've got that all set up so that people can find us easily. Um, Foodaddictionreset.com. Foodaddictionreset. Thank you. Thank you for asking. Thank you. I'll put those, uh, those links that you mentioned into the show notes. And thank you so much for being on the show. And thank you so much for doing what you do to help people. Thank you. Thanks for getting the word out. Everything I do is worthless unless somebody wonderful like you comes along and gets the word out. Thank you. Thank you.